Welcome to the Marshall Pruitt Podcast and your week in IndyCar listener Q&A show brought to you by Cooper Tires, the Justice Brothers, and TorontoMotorsports.com. Hope some of you have come to joining us and hopefully enjoy the new hashtag racing family show started with my pal racing insider and just big old huggy bear of spotting excellence chris wheeler doing these last couple of mondays at 5 p.m pacific 8 p.m eastern and they've been a blast y'all we've had some great guests and i think just because life only gets busier for me does not actually seem to be trending in a bit of a slowdown in any capacity i think the monday longer form hashtag racing family shows probably going to replace a lot of the normal driver standalone uh indycar podcast that we've done here uh weekend indycar guest shows so done those normally on wednesdays half an hour or so maybe 45 at most with one person think since our Monday racing family show is mostly IndyCar related, we'll probably just roll with those uh, as the weekly offering. And granted, I'm sure I'll still do some dedicated podcasts with drivers, team owners, and whatnot. Uh, I know that y'all enjoy those too, but if I just think about what we had Monday, uh, we had Mario Andretti, Connor Daly, the great Bob Varsha, and the equally great david hobbs and then just as the show always tends to do there on twitter we get a uh, special guest or two that pops up just by joining in and we invite them to speak uh do enjoy that aspect of twitter spaces where yes can go and arrange guests in advance but then we always get some fun folks who come and play like max pappas indycar race steward former IndyCar, NASCAR, Le Mans, Formula One driver, etc. He joined in for a good long while. We also had the uh, Foistel family, Drew and Indira. Drew is an astronaut. <laughs> some of you may know from some of the great photos he took from uh, outside of Earth, uh, International Space Station photos of uh, some various IndyCar racetracks. Uh, so we had Drew and his amazing, equally amazing wife. She's not an astronaut, but she's just amazing, period. Uh, had those two on. And cool thing is with our Twitter Spaces show, it's pure audio. It's an audience size of however many people want to join in and take time, make time to bring in some questions from fans of whichever guest and so i love that so wheeler and i are just going to keep doing those we're going to try and do one or two more per week who knows what the topics might be uh but nonetheless if you get a chance uh definitely monday nights 5 p.m pacific 8 p.m eastern hashtag racing family show twitter spaces just check out my at marshall pruitt twitter profile and you can set a reminder to join in so come and do that connor in particular was amazing tuned us up a lot on what to expect here at texas so we'll get that show hopefully posted tonight as a regular podcast for you mario as well telling an amazing story about the late vic elford a friend of mine who passed on sunday one of the world's truly greatest race car drivers who ever lived uh bob varsha and david hobbs as well helped uh share some thoughts about quick vic so that's that last little thing or two to mention before we get rolling here with the show 
Uh, if you have heard for the past couple months, I've been sharing the fact that if you want to make some new motor racing friends, if you want to join kind of a pre-built, pre-fabricated family, we have one for you. Uh, it's called the Pruday, P-R-U-E-D-A-Y. And there are men, there are women, there are young folks, middle-aged, old, uh, you name it. I think we have all every spectrum covered just about of humanity, whether it is folks of differing origins, ethnicities, faiths, orientations, like it's the hashtag racing family show that we're doing is just an extension of this, of just racing fans, building a community, loving on one another, making fun of each other, having a good time and truly just becoming part of a group that's bigger than yourself. So we happen to have the Day listener group here. If you want to join in, I think most of what they do in terms of interaction is on Discord. Uh, there's a Twitter group as well, private Twitter group too, but uh, they take good care of themselves, have a lot of fun. There are going to be some Day meetups this year at some tracks. So if you want to join in, new family, just send an email Pruday rocks, P R U E D A Y R O C K S at gmail.com. And one of the many leaders there will reach out to you within a couple days and say, Hey, this is how you join in. Thanks and welcome to the Pruday family. Some news today about uh, young Patricio Award and the possibility of him becoming a free agent. I know that there's been some stuff written within the last week. Um, saw some of those things written about him and where he might go or what he might do or what he's unsure of about the future. Uh, didn't say anything at the time, but uh, was on this story before that point and was aware that some of what was being written. Uh, let's see, how do I phrase this? It's one thing to be told something. It's another thing to vet whether that thing you're being told is fully accurate. So uh, we'll have a follow-up piece here. You might be reading it before you hear this. You might be hearing this before you read it on racer.com. Bit of a silly season piece that I started working on before St. Petersburg, the season opener, and then got to St. Pete and found out that, oh boy, <laughs> we have a number of drivers in their first race of the season who are already jumping from uh, motor coach to motor coach, talking to uh, potential new employers or having their fathers, mothers, brothers, agents, you name it, holding those conversations. And so in that silly season piece, I uh, realized that, you know what? I need to include Pato in that. So uh, I don't know. I don't think we got any questions in time for today's show. Who knows? We'll see. I apologize. I haven't looked yet. Thanks again to Jim Kaiser, who puts together our questions, by the way. Um, we'll see how deeply we go in there, but I think I do, for the most part, crack open exactly how things played out and the options that are available to Pato and other teams. Um, I can tell you without naming who that within a very short amount of time of that story going up, I received a couple of calls, uh, interesting times y'all, uh, the silly season is really and truly alive and kicking. So that's that, uh, headed to Texas flying out very early Friday morning. going to try and do some more of our hashtag MP show me little video vignettes. 
at the track on Friday. And I'm going to hit pause because I have an IndyCar team owner calling me right now. And it's to indeed talk about uh, the subject of the story I just mentioned. I'll be right back. And we're back. All right. Uh, I don't remember where we were, but uh, interesting conversation. And I'll just drop that into the one of the countless of, yep. I'll just stay between us. All right, we're going to kick off the show here. A little bit of music bed, a little bit of surf rock music bed here. And I actually do need to leave in about 15 minutes to go do a Twitter spaces event. Uh, Invited to the new Karuma NFT uh, Twitter spaces show. That is something that Racer Magazine's involved in. Karuma, uh, as I have learned, is the Japanese word for car. So car NFT. And, uh, yeah, I'm going to go show my ignorance and show my ass and maybe learn a little bit while I'm there, I hope. But nonetheless, let's at least get some questions knocked out, and then I will come back here and finish this up tonight. All right, Zach Dean, how are you, Zach? We're going to open up with you. Uh, We've got a couple questions about Texas coming up this weekend. So we normally do, if this is one of your first times listening to the show, tend to open up with a major topic, visit with it for a while, and then get rolling with the rest. Uh, Zach says, MP, with the Texas race coming up, I'm a little bewildered by the PJ1 traction compound issue that IndyCars have. Can you shed some light on why IndyCars struggle on the PJ1 while stock cars drive on it just fine? Wishing you and your wife the best. Thank you, Zach. I can only share what I've been told because I have yet to drive on the low lane without the pj1 and then the second slash higher lanes uh that has the pj1 i've yet to do that in an indy car so i'm having to go on what good drivers and the folks at firestone have told me as well so if we think about what has happened with the application of the pj1 and how its stickiness and tackiness works well to provide grip to nascar vehicles on that second and higher lane the speed at which they are traveling in the corners is nothing like an indy car that's one thing to consider so if we're talking about crazy breakneck you're on the edge of flying out of the first second third lane and smashing into the wall i'm not saying they don't go decently fast in the corners nothing like entering turn one turning in at 220 something miles an hour in an indy car indy cars obviously bear a lot of aerodynamic weight that crush them into the track surface that's great cars nowadays in their modern trim the universal aero kit 18 trim we are not talking about indy cars that have outrageous downforce that bury them into the corners like they once did during the manufacturer aero kit era. Even then, I'm not saying it was insane down for sack, but certainly a lot more than we have now. Um, since we've gone to a track that has PJ one applied at the request or insistence of NASCAR and a track that has told the world, we are going to do whatever NASCAR says, Sorry, everyone who isn't NASCAR. Uh, We've also gone to this new aero kit. And certainly they could change the specifications to it. 
put on more of the road course short oval aero package, but that would be a very different thing than what we've ever had at Texas. A high speed, high bank, one and a half mile super speedway. And if we think about a gateway worldwide technologies raceway, 1.25 miles, it's quick, but it's not anything like a Texas quick. We think about Iowa and whatnot, crazy short, crazy fast. These are places where road course downforce to varying levels. Iowa is basically full road course package, crazy amounts of downforce. Uh, Gateway, less so, but still significant. Uh, Texas doesn't flirt in that area, Zach. So we do have more of a true Indianapolis-style super speedway. Uh, setup. So you take all these things, you take the, within the last couple of years, introduction of the PJ one, the move to a lower downforce aero package for the cars. You got something there in terms of getting close to an answer or components of an answer in speaking with drivers and speaking with Firestone, uh, a couple other things just to, to know. So with that compound up in that second lane and higher, the track, and I believe IndyCar has also been part of this. It might have been mostly the track, though, in the past, has done their best to remove it, to scrape it, scrub it, file it, whatever you, you know, blast it with flame and fire and bombs and all kinds of crazy stuff. Uh, they've done their best to remove it. You go, great. That's fantastic. Still has not resulted in that second in the upper lanes being of equal friction value to the lower lane. Um, I hope my brain isn't mixing this up or inverting it, but I've heard that venturing up into that second lane has offered something like 15% less grip. So you might go, wait a minute, the PJ one, is that all left over for IndyCar shoes? No, actually it's, it's, like I said, scraped off, shot off, uh, burned off, you name it. And the result has been an actual lesser degree of grip to be had up there. You talk about the remnants of it, the color of it being this black uh, residue, at least in the sun. Certainly that is going to heat up and provide a hotter track surface, one that yet again might be mismatched to what you would find on the low groove, the bottom lane, which does not have any of that dark compound uh, tucked into the little nooks and crannies below the surface. So if you think about 20 plus Indy cars going out, knowing that that second lane has less grip because it's been scrubbed. And yet again, the heat could come up and be a little bit weird, very different properties to run on. You think about those 20 plus cars running around the bottom, their Firestone tires digging into the track surfaces, nooks and crannies, and leaving the, the little, little bits of rubber that get embedded that act like little grips, little pieces of Velcro meeting the Firestone rubber when it comes back across it. Each lap, each car, those tires, etc. There's kind of a nice hand in glove locking of providing grip there. So, you get that bottom lane worked in, rubbered in with Firestone rubber. You have that second lane that's actually lower grip than the bottom. And all of a sudden venturing up out of that first lane into the second, 
Uh, it can be something that, with the aforementioned changes to the car, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, uh, it's not great. We've seen on a couple of occasions where a driver has tried it and to get past somebody has decided to try and go high and based on where they did it and how much they slowed down and the other car might have slowed down we saw a pass kind of sort of happen with someone venturing up mid-corner uh, into that second lane and not crashing and those were very far and few between what we would see some or what we have seen sometimes is coming out of uh, turns one and two on exit you might see a driver that tries to uh, pull out to the right a little bit early, get their tires up on that PJ one remnants and whatnot, and have some sort of crazy wiggle, you know, nearly death wiggle, but survive. We've seen again, a couple, couple of exceptions, but for the most part, uh, those who have ventured up gotten half their right side tires on the PJ one and a half on that lower lane. And the thing tried to take off on them. Some who just straight up spun and crashed. Like there's enough experience that's been accrued here, Zach, for those who've been on it raced in this modern UAK 18 era. And all the things I've mentioned uh, about treating the track surface and scrubbing it off and rubber being put down on the low lane where you go, we're just not going to try more than running on that bottom lane i'll break in here for just a sec to mention something that i should have in the open some friends of the show some very active folks in motor racing and in indycar reach out to me and let me know that they're working with a friend in ukraine uh, someone who is trying to do some really important work to help folks raise funds by selling his art to try and do all that he can to do some very decent and very humanitarian things for his people. So just wanted to mention, if you have an interest, you might check out jesterboyd.live, J-E-S-T-E-R-B-O-Y-D.live. See what he's doing. And if it feels right for you, obviously, please help. Always trying to do important things in terms of helping others, charitable donations, whatever it might be that makes the world a little bit better. Don't want to sound like a homer here, but truly, that is something that is very important to me. So through some friends of the show who have been active, have been taking part and supporting Jester Boyd, uh, jesterboyd.live would be the place to go if you want to get involved and see if you too can help with things on the ground there for folks who need it in Ukraine. Uh, let's go to Teddy Too Sweaty from Reddit. Uh, I love my Reddit screen names. Given the situation at Texas Motor Speedway, Lack of viable alternate ovals out there. Why hasn't IndyCar asked Firestone to work on a solution to the PJ1 issue? A couple of assumptions there. IndyCar and Firestone have worked excessively trying to come up with solutions. Keep in mind, it is not Firestone's job to fix one track's slavish devotion to a rival sanctioning body. Uh, and applying stuff to the track that does not interact well with their tires. So, yeah, um, I don't see this as a Firestone thing. Uh, there are plenty of alternative viable ovals out there, though. So uh, we'll come back to that here in just a sec. 
Uh, Ed Joris about Texas and traction would diamond grinding the surface work for both IndyCar and NASCAR. It would, that's been an option, uh, or a suggestion made by some, Hey, if you've got all this stuff embedded in the track and you can't seemingly get all of it out and it's causing all these problems and blah, 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 get out there with the diamond grinder. And I'd agree. And it'd be great if they did that, uh, before NASCAR arrived. So IndyCar could race on it first. And in theory, have all lanes to play with but then what would happen then nascar would come and they'd put down the goop and we'd be screwed again uh ryan terpstra kind of circling back to what teddy too sweaty said is this the last race in texas please say this is the last race in texas they don't seem inclined to repave and i don't want to bet one seventeenth of our schedule on a 30-minute, quote, second groove practice session. That's Ryan referring to the willpower suggestion that's been made for many years that IndyCar told me they are indeed considering doing. Uh, and I actually, I'm remembering, I should have circled back to find out today if that uh, got the green light. Um, power has been suggesting for years, give us a half hour, give us whatever amount of time, give us an extra set of tires, and let all of us go out and run around on that second groove and put down Firestone rubber and not go flying out on the first lap at 225 miles an hour, but let us work up to it. We can drive on that. It's just we need to find a low enough speed to where Firestones are digging through lateral grip, uh, coating, basically working their rubber into that second groove um, without it being too fast while we have too little grip for us to be spinning off and crashing. So... Yeah, that's what he's referring to there. I don't know the length of the contract with Texas. I probably should. I'm sure I could Google it and find it. Uh, I would just say this. I am of the mind that if this race is one where they cannot solve the second groove problem and give us multi-lane options for the drivers to race in the corners, we've already had a couple of snoozers there. Uh, if this is another snoozer, let's not go back. And I don't dislike Texas. I truly don't. Uh, it's a crazy place to go. It is frighteningly fast. And there are some real perils there. At the same time, I'm not someone who just wants my motor racing to be wrapped up uh, in packing peanuts and uh blankets and pillows and have everything just be super soft and safe to a million percent degree if we've got no risk or danger uh, i don't know how viable auto racing is as a sport so like just like boxing or mma it might be a little bit brutal but you take away the punching and the kicking uh, there's no real reason to tune into that sport take away the risk and danger I don't know how much motor racing appeals to folks. Uh, so Texas certainly ticks that box of, oh my gosh. Uh, I truly pray for nothing to go wrong, but it is one of the few tracks on the calendar where you go, oh, if it went wrong, it could go really wrong. There is that element of danger. So if everything's going well and all the track can be used and drivers have options to race and where to place themselves and not, we got a good motor race without that i'll look forward to going somewhere else uh let's see i'm gonna be able to take one more question here uh king hero fan 
says, is there any concern among the veterans that we will have a whole bunch of rookies making their super speedway debuts this weekend? Seven drivers. So if you count the five rookies, uh, what Romain Groshaw doing his first super speedway, and I'm forgetting who the other one is. Um, yeah, I would have to say the veterans are certainly going to be mindful of this. I know that uh, in our racing family show Monday night with Connor, I asked him about that, and he said, yes, you certainly uh, you certainly have to be aware that it's not two or three rookies. It's five full pure rookies, plus, as you mentioned, seven total out of a 27-car grid. That's a significant number, uh, especially for the veterans to be coming up on and uh, to have to deal with. So, yeah. Uh, that is something they will certainly need to be mindful of and have their spotters just working overtime to keep them safe. You also say, why is IndyCar reduce the amount of track time, preseason testing, etc.? Is it simply cost? Is it an attempt to even the playing field, keep the show good? I know at Texas, from what Jay Fry told me, IndyCar president, this is compared to last year, I believe it was two 45-minute practice sessions, and this year it's two-hour long, so they've actually added. And then we have that, could they throw in another 30 minutes or so? So uh, I believe things are actually up a little bit this year at Texas. I'm going to take a sip of water. But I know at uh, St. Pete, there was a lot of of teams in the paddock, folks in the paddock who are grumpy at some pretty strict... You can't come in till this time in the morning. You gotta leave by that time in the evening. Um, there weren't an abundance of of track sessions, much less ones that were long. There does seem to be an element afoot to do less than more. I'll have to look at the Long Beach schedule to see if that remains. Take a look at the Barber schedule once again to see if this uh, is something that's going to be happening throughout the year. Uh, probably ask Jay about it as well when I see him this weekend. If this is a policy that's being applied as often as possible or sporadically, and then if there's a reason for that. So don't have an answer yet, but I do know that, yeah, there are some folks that are saying, hey, we take all this time to make these cars and put together the teams and go find sponsors and we travel and we do all these things. We're here. Let, let's do what we came to do. And if it's adding an extra 15 minutes here, if it's adding a third session, something. Um, teams don't want to be blowing through their engine leases because they've racked up a trillion miles uh, and those leases then end up costing them even more or use a whole bunch of extra Firestone tires and that lease price go up. Like Nobody wants to pay more within the paddock. But I would say the general sense I've gotten from quite a few, not all, uh, I've spoken to every driver, and they told me that they don't like, no, hold on, that was someone else. Um, I know that I've heard from a number of teams that have said, hey, we're here. Like, let us do our thing. And there's also, I would think, an element from fans uh, who might expect a little bit more uh, FaceTime with the cars than they have had Um recently so all right i'm gonna go do this little karuma nft thing and i will be back here shortly uh third recording attempt
Well, that didn't go exactly as planned. Uh, sat on mute for 22 minutes uh, without being brought in. And then the show just ended abruptly. So, ah, hey, uh, there you go. All right, we're going to get back to your questions. We're going we're gonna to get to y'all here. Uh, where do we go next? Why don't we go to Maddie McDonald? How you doing, Maddie? Appreciate you. MP, are there any indications yet how much the additional downforce might help the racing this weekend? Glad that the uh, William Jehoshaphat Power Max Traction Action Plan for Fan Satisfaction is finally getting the nod from IndyCar. But what do you think the chances of success are? Uh, are these things really going to be uh, the extra downforce really going to open up that second lane? And also says some nice things to close about my amazing wife and our cats. Based on what Connor told us from running with that added downforce last week where he was second fastest, right? I mean, he was quick like a bunny. Uh, he said, no, we, nobody touched the second lane. So without the hopeful success of the Willie P max traction action plan for fan satisfaction, you should copyright that by the way, and, uh, make shirts or something out of that because it applies to everywhere, right? Power pole position maximum traction is that his is that like his his alter ego that he checks into at hotels and whatnot so uh he doesn't get bothered by fans hi this is max traction checking in i think so that seems like a character he'd play in a movie too like a really bad one uh starring mel gibson right uh some sort of thunderdome mad max reboot and he's, is he a good guy or a bad guy? Or just the really spacey guy, Max Traction. Anyways, you got a winner there, Matty. Uh, I'm just telling you. I'll, I'll buy whatever Max Traction Willie P uh, merchandise you put together. I don't think it's going to make a dang bit of difference, my friend. Unless they make that second lane, uh, activate the second lane, make it work. Uh, John in Michigan. How you doing, John in Michigan? says, where does Jimmy Johnson need to finish Sunday uh, for his IndyCar Oval debut to be considered a success? We've, we've all been awaiting this moment. Ganassi's always strong at Texas. How much pressure is on him to put up a good result? Funnily enough, I'm going to be asking him those questions at 6.45 a.m. my time, California, tomorrow. So, uh, And he's probably will have been asked those many times uh, on the IndyCar press conference before... I get to him. Nonetheless, yeah, finishing will be great. Was that aiming the bar way too low? Do you aim a bar? I don't know, but we're going to pretend we do. Here's the thing that Jimmy has never done. Raced with a light vehicle that makes very good downforce on what could be a single lane track with a bunch, 20 of the 27 being seriously skilled and maybe 10 of those being wickedly skilled and experienced at carving their way around Texas, setting people up, taking positions, closing doors, doing all kinds of stuff. Jimmy has massive oval experience, obvious, duh, but he doesn't have that experience in a racing environment in these cars with these drivers He's obviously a rookie, but so are some of the real, real rookies who have a bare minimum of oval experience. 
I mean, he's got the same worries to deal with as the veterans with some of the pups who are, are finding their way around for the first time. Um, how do you race them? How do they treat you? Who closes the door hard? Who won't, who can you scare to leave the door open? These are all things he's going to have to figure out on Sunday. And so for that, I don't have a huge expectation for a great finish by him. If he's top 10, I'm going to be stoked for him. If we were to come back next year to Texas, totally different answer. If Jimmy isn't top five, top three, I'll be shocked. But yeah, finishing would be amazing. And if he is in the top 10, top 12, I'd say that too would be a giant performance for him. Um, The cool thing, at least, is we're talking about going to Texas this year. Granted, Sebring conflict, which isn't cool, but prior to Indy, he's going to get in good running, get a feel for a lot of drivers, how they behave or how they don't really fill up his notebook, that mental notebook. So when he gets to Indy, having been on a super speedway already this year, uh, I like what that's going to do for him in terms of competitiveness at the big old 500. Uh, Jamie Carr, similar theme. First oval for JJ this weekend in anticipation. I had this thought once he's completed an IndyCar race, what, Will that experience uh, compare and contrast to stock car? Will what he's learned there and what he's known before, uh, will any of that help him in anything going forward on a road course? Um, none, brother, none. Uh, you also are kind enough to say thanks again, uh, and also you've been enjoying the Hashtag Racing Family show. Yeah, uh, other than knowing the track, and knowing, or the tracks, I should say, pretty pretty much everywhere we're going to go, I think. Uh, and he will have tested at places he hasn't raced, I'm sure. Um, you know, other than knowing the, the tracks in a very general sense, maybe assuming that the changes from year to year, because often winter and cold and ice and whatever can change bumps, add bumps, modify things that are different from when he might have been at wherever in a cup car. Um you know, he might know that here there's a dip and here there's a that. And, uh, you know, he'll have some of that institutional knowledge he's gained, but he's also going 40 or 50 miles an hour faster <laughs> in this Indy car at some of the places, some of the ovals he'll be doing. So it's truly like the difference between riding a racehorse and a donkey. So, yeah, not a lot you're going to take from the donkey. That's going to make you faster on the racehorse. Uh, Where are we going to move to? Todd Hudson. Oh, I just hit the wrong button, Todd. And like the Karuma NFT show, uh, I just made that disappear unexpectedly. He says, hey, MP, I noticed there was a stock car at Texas the same day the Indy cars were testing. I'm sure it was weather-related, but how often do you see multiple series, IndyCar, Road to Indy, NASCAR, IMSA, etc., sharing a test day? says best wishes to you and your family all depends um i mean i've been at tests in the past when i was on atlantic teams or indy lights teams where there were indy cars there as well and other some regional stuff too all depends on who quote owns the test day uh usually if it's an indy car team or similar they are going to be reluctant to allow 
you know, locals to come out in their production cars, GT cars, prototypes, whatever. Uh, they might just limit that to uh, Indy cars only. Um, if other teams want to join in, maybe Indy lights, uh, but also with a pretty clear agreement that like, look, uh, if we're on track, you aren't had those tests before for sure. Usually on ovals. Um, what comes to mind? Maybe 2000 with the, uh, uh, Hilton Motorsports team. We were there testing with Kuno Whitmer and Hoover Orsi. And I seem to recall, I think it was the Menards team was there with Eddie Cheever. I think my brain might be. No, I don't. How's this? I don't remember who it was. Uh, but it was a, I think it was an IRL team that might have been there testing. And yeah, uh, who knows? Again, it could have been Menards. I, I don't, it would have been, would not have been Cheever. Might have been my former driver, Greg Ray, I think. Anyways, um, yeah. So we shared the test. I think we owned the test day. And they asked if they could join. And we said, yes. So we split the cost, whatever. And I recall them getting like crazy aggressive because they were running a, what was it? A Pi data system. And I think on our Atlantic cars, maybe we had, uh, I don't remember what, uh, something different. And every time we went out, we put up our beacon on the pit wall so the car would trigger and capture data correctly within the little recorder. Uh, there was something about the beacon from whomever our manufacturer was that just totally screwed with theirs. And so they were making it like it was our responsibility to turn our beacon away or move our beacon off the wall every time they went out and tried to impress upon them as the race engineer for the team. And I think I also was looking after data too, like, Hey, it's our test day. So let's go ahead and not talk to us like that. Cause you can go away if you want to, but if you're saying you're having issues, I'm not here to try and test and improve the car and get our driver some oval experience of which they have none before we start the 2000 Atlantic season. But I'm also not going to be wondering and worrying if I'm sitting in the transporter, talking with them, looking at data, making possible setup changes to hear you guys fire up and then myself or have someone go running over the wall to take down our beacon because it messes with your data. Um, you do that. And again, I forget exactly who it was, but they were very pissy about that. And it was like, look, I get it. You're an IndyCar team. You're important. And we're just a quote, little Atlantic team. Uh, you're our guests. Be cool. Like, seriously, we've got no beef with you. But if you think this hierarchical thing's going on where you tell us what we're going to do when you go out and so anyways, told them to pound sand. And, uh, I seem to recall, they kind of took ours down when they went out and put it back up when they were done. So there you go. Uh, but yeah, nonetheless, not uncommon. Uh, but the stock car with an Indy car with Indy cars, I don't know if it was running with them or not. Didn't look into it. Don't really care. Uh, but yeah, not uncommon, but usually you kind of within the type of same vehicle type, I would say that's what I know best. Uh, Austin Sutton MP was wondering about the manpower. We also were just kind of talk about that as power. Cause there's also plenty of women working on IndyCar teams too, my friend. Uh, I was wondering about the power required to put on an oval race versus a road race. Are there more volunteers required at road races than ovals on a team? Say, what about the AMR safety 
team and such. Does Texas require more or fewer personnel for each team than a race at Road America? Uh, thanks for everything you do for our racing family. Hey, thanks to you as well, Austin. We're talking corner workers and volunteers. I would say that no, uh, Texas and its four corners do not demand uh, as many on the ground folks than say a big old sprawling road course. So on that capacity, no. Team wise, actually, you might add someone that you don't necessarily have on road and street courses. Um, that being spotters, right? Some teams bring spotters everywhere. Some don't learn that from our hashtag racing family co-host, Chris Wheeler, who is indeed a mighty fine spotter, but there are some teams that do not. So yeah, you might actually go at least one person more on the ovals than you do the road and street courses. But other than that, no, uh, crew is a crew team is a team. And since we go to so many different forms of circuits uh yeah teams don't exactly dial up or dial down it's a solid crew running each car uh lance snyder indycar may actually listen to willpower he says try rubbering in the top groove at texas going forward how awesome would the series be if they just listen to willpower all the time and if they finally got led panels in the car too i agree i mean we're, we're totally in agreement here lance snyder um willpower vp of common sense <sighs> who who to thunk we'd ever get to that place uh steve grinstead mp with the addition of the halo and the indy lights tub what are your thoughts on them racing in texas no it could be expensive to the teams, but i feel that it could add some value so would need to learn to run this type of uh race at some point in time in their career uh, plus it'd be nice to have some more on track activity during the event totally agree Totally agree. Totally agree. Um, I apologize. I'm forgetting who it was who had the big old crash at Indy in the Freedom 100 that ripped the car in half. Chase something or other. Um, maybe. Is that correct? That crash spooked Roger Penske like you wouldn't believe. And as I have been told by more than a few people, that crash has been cited as the reason why Indy Lights has been taken off of the Indianapolis Motor Speedway oval uh, entertainment package. I would say falling in line with that, having seen some snap-the-car-in-half type oval crashes at Texas, pretty good likelihood, Steve, that that's the reason why Roger is not green-lighting lights uh, going there. So I totally agree. Um, granted, I mean, I don't want to sound like an old man. Yeah, see, back in my day, yeah, it was much harder, see. And we went to a lot of places that had a lot bigger ovals, see. And they're very scary, see. And today they're all wimps, see. And they're not manly men or womanly women, see. I don't want to be that guy. But I can say without a doubt that, yes, indeed, back in the day, Indy Lights uh, used to go to some big old hairy, scary bombing around two and a half 2.0 1.5 whatever big old ovals scary like you wouldn't believe and yet yeah there are risks there are big crashes there are some big costs there were injuries would also say boy there were some wickedly fierce oval racers that came out of going through indie lights back then uh followed by indie the what indie pro series 
There were some great oval drivers developed there when it was heavily ovals. I'm not saying we haven't had some great young oval drivers emerge since then, but I can just tell you that it sure feels like my brain remembers way, way more ready and badass uh, oval talent coming out of lights back in the day because they did go to these bigger, scary types of tracks um, and learned them a whole bunch that made them super, super impactful uh, pretty much right out of the gate instead of needing a year or two or however much longer once they get to the big series to become that effective thing. Uh, you also asked, what is my favorite barbecue restaurant? Um, I don't know if I found one. I mean, I could mention Rusty's, of course, and Barber, which is great. Um, there were a couple, and this was years ago, when my wife and I were back in her home state of Alabama, uh, in and around Montgomery. Um, yeah. Uh, there's a local place here where we did, uh, season one dinner with racers, the smoking pig, uh, that place makes food that makes my tummy smile for sure. Yeah. Uh, I don't eat nearly as much, uh, barbecue as I once did. That's probably a good thing. And the reason why I've been losing weight for a while. Uh, but yeah, I'm always in the mood for, for more. And so of the tracks that we go to. For those of you who are locals at wherever, don't be afraid to uh, give me an idea because I'm trying to go and have dinner more often than I have in the past with friends uh, while I'm at the track instead of grabbing a bite and bringing it back to the hotel and continuing to work on whatever. So send me ideas because I need them. Yeah, see. Uh, John Olsakowski. How you doing, John? See, Hy-Vee recently said they wouldn't open stores in Texas because they can't compete with the local HEB chain. Uh, what driver would be the best to woo Scott McClelland, the CEO of HEB, into sponsoring an IndyCar and giving fans a good old-fashioned food fight? Says you got to try that green sauce. Uh, I'd have to believe, well, actually, I was going to say Jack Harvey because he's Jack the Baker and the best cook among all that we know, but he is sponsored by hy V. So maybe we need to come up with a bizarro alter ego, Ray Hall, Letterman, Lanigan entry for hack Jarvie. So, uh, and number 54 as well, the inverse of his 45. So I think that's the answer. Uh, I don't even know if Jack has like a brother that looks similar. Uh, we'll get somebody, but yeah, uh, the perfect person would be Hack Jarvie. And so in the same team, it would be Hy-Vee versus H-E-B. Granted, Hy-Vee would say, no, you can't do that. But in my fantasy world of bizarre race car drivers, here, John, that is exactly what will take place. Uh, J.J. Gertler, our pal, J.J. Gertler, uh, says, I know that Aaron McLaren SP doesn't want you using a certain acronym anymore. Uh, spam, right? Uh, Jim Johnstone. I haven't seen anything from Jim in a while, so I don't know if I pissed him off or he just got tired or whatever, but we haven't seen Jim on the show. But Jim is the one who coined spam. Uh, Schmidt Peterson, Arrow McLaren. Uh, yeah, I mean, they don't want me to, but, you know, uh, I'll work for him. It's my show. I'll do whatever I want. So spam. Uh, he says, but it turns out that everybody in this group supports spam. Shabrell Pruitt 
and then you put in brackets and Marshall. So there you go. Um, any and all future references to spam that would actually be Chabrel, Chabrel Pruitt and Marshall. So there you go. Uh, big left to you, JJ. Thank you for that. Uh, let's see. Hey, we do got some Pato Ward questions. They're just chucked a little ways down. Ah, uh, see, that's a reason to keep listening. I love it. Where are we on the old clock, by the way? Uh, a little bit past 45 minutes. Uh, Ryan Terpstra. So Pato Ward, uh, to someone that isn't a spam, um, uh, is not something I had on my, all right, let me reread that again. So Pato award to someone that isn't spam is not something I had on my 2022 silly season bingo card. Do we think there's exit clauses or is his contract simply up after the season, giving him options who replaces Pato Rossi VK got a couple questions here. So let's dig in. Yes. Uh, the rumor, which I've written about in this silly not yeah driver silly season piece uh the rumor that i've written about was yes that he could get out of his contract uh not that he was out of contract at the end of the year um among those phone calls from folks who asked to remain nameless um was given full confirmation that yes that's not just a rumor that is accurate uh other aspect to that i don't have the exact percentage i've heard it is between 75 ish and 80 percent i don't know if it's 73 i don't know if it's 82 i've heard it's 75 to 80 i think what i wrote in the story that i haven't finished yet is 80 ish percent maybe um there is a right to match clause that says if this driver receives an offer from another team mclaren has the right to match that and if they elect to match that they keep him he is not able to just leave simply because someone made an offer i believe that 80 ish percent number is what uh, mclaren must meet so if someone offers the guy a hundred million dollars all they would have to do is offer him 80 can't go anywhere (coughs) granted uh, if we lived in a time where an IndyCar driver received a hundred million dollar contract, unless it was a 100 year, $100 million contract. Oh yes. Uh, that would, we've never seen such things, but anyways, I just wanted to make it really easy. Uh, if someone were to offer him a whatever year, two year, three year, $10 million deal, uh, all McLaren would have to do is come back and offer him eight and they'd hold on to him. So uh i say this as full clear and unquestionably accurate information i once again per the person who told me will not mention their name at their request but let's just again say that after the story came out number of phone calls came in one of them wanting to make it very clear as to what was and what was not possible for young Mr. Driver in question. Uh, So that's what I know to be true. That also aligns with what I had heard in rumor and speculation of, hey, could get out. It's a right to match clause, and it's not 100%. Uh, It's 
something less than that, but pretty darn close. And so have since learned it's between 75 and 80, but I don't have the exact number. But those things are all true. Uh, that makes for an interesting scenario. And since I've written about this somewhat in depth, uh, I don't want to waste too much of your time here repeating all that. Please do visit racer.com and partake that article. But we've seen this happen before in sports, mostly stick and ball, where a athlete either wants to leave because they're unhappy, wants to leave because they like something that has happened somewhere else. I just read today about um, a member of the Dallas Cowboys who had apparently agreed to return and just decided to flip that and sign with the Denver Broncos because he loved the move they've made by getting Russell Wilson as their quarterback. So again, could it be someone who's disgruntled and wants to leave and go somewhere else and is uh, searching for best offers under the right to match clause in their contract? Is it somebody who likes what they're seeing going on elsewhere and wants to be a part of that thing in the future? Uh, is it someone who's really happy with what they have where they're at, but they've seen some internal changes there? Who knows? Uh, person hired, person fired, whatever it is where you go, oh boy, this fundamentally changes uh, things for me down the line. Again, a lot of different things we've seen in stick and ball sports. Not uncommon though for these right to match scenarios where you go, hey, if I could get this team over here to pay me a whole wad of money, I doubt the current team's going to try and match that. It'd make no sense. The number's big enough for it to be totally silly for my current team to match that. So I think that's going to trigger my ability to leave. Now, the last thing I'll mention here on this specific right to match thing, strictly referring to stick and ball sports, do we ever know what those contracts end up being? Right? It's one thing to make an offer that is sky high, that scares off the current team, lets the person go, person gets what they want again leaving under a dark cloud or full sunshine but gets what they want do we ever fully know what they end up signing for is it that big sky high number or is it something lower you know there's there's some gamesmanship games womanship here i don't know how this plays out uh i know that the the mclaren team absolutely wants to make sure that uh, they hold on to that driver but we'll see who offers what and if anything gets triggered uh neil clark says based on your recent article about pato's free agency answer do you think the signing of colton herta to a testing deal has affected the chance uh that he might stay at aero mclaren sp again the the what he wants versus what someone offers to trigger that potential exit to totally different things. So he goes nowhere. If McLaren matches, there you go. Uh, do I think the, the Herta thing? I don't. There, there, there's some, some rumors that I heard last year. I won't go into detail, but there are some rumors last that took place last year makes me think these are totally unrelated items. Um, 
Thanks for asking, Neil. Uh, we're going to go to Tim Hubble. Heard of an award at Andretti Global in 2024? That'd be awesome, wouldn't it? Like, seriously, that'd be amazing. Uh, it would be Harding Racing. What ended up being Harding Steinbrenner Racing. Uh, the Harding Steinbrenner lineup we never got as full-time teammates. We got it for one race, that sneaky race I sometimes forget. In 2018, end of the season, Sonoma, when the two of them drove uh, for the team. And yeah, um, I'd love to see it. Love to see the two of them push each other and where they got to. So um, I just don't know how good the relationship is between Michael Andretti and Pato after some somewhat unpleasant words were spoken, I think by both sides, uh, after the Harding Steinbrenner thing fell apart. So I truly have no clue where they are today. Uh, maybe they're all good and they would love to work together, but the only one of those two that I know uh, Michael absolutely wants, and there's a full green light uh, if everything comes together, that would be Colton Herta. Uh, Andy Bauer, Marshall, continued prayers for you and your wife. Thank you, Andy. Uh, we need them, and they're working, by the way. So thank you. Uh, with the article about Pato and Spam possibly parting ways at the end of the season, is this a sign of unflattering trend with Pato? This is while the Red Bull misadventure was not entirely of his making, the optics of repeatedly not sticking uh, for very long at places, maybe it's not good? Is there more here? Is Pato impatient, immature? Says, I'd like the guy, but I worry his decisions and potential decisions may be hurting his advancement. Not a lot I can offer here. I, I wish I could, Andy. Um, I don't know. Uh, there are some pretty straightforward things we could say that might lead us towards some sort of conclusion. Would a person who was totally happy, satisfied with all aspects of their job mention that they could leave that job to work for someone else when asked? I'd assume not. Um, I don't know how to present whatever issues there might be. Is it just looking for greener pastures? Uh, right. Is it wanting to go to a bigger team? Is it name the possible reasons you'd want to leave where you are and go somewhere else? Is it coming from a negative place? Is it coming from a positive place? That is hard to say. When I spoke with Pato and asked the question about the contract for next year and, and in the future, he was very tight lipped. He did not want to say much about it didn't want to answer one of the follow-up questions. And again, the interaction on this topic was very tight, short, etc. I had one other question for him for a completely different article for Road and Track. Um, and he gave me lots for that. But it's something really kind of simple. I don't know if silly is, is the way to put it, but... Future contract stuff, serious, really didn't want to say much, said what he said. Other topic, writing for road and track, uh, wide open, super easy, breezy, you name it. 
that was a sum total of things. Uh, I don't know if when he's asked by others, uh, cause he's supposed to be on a IndyCar conference call here in the morning. If he's going to open up and say things, I don't know if his team has told his employers have said, shut up and, uh, no comment or again, I don't know. I can't tell you, but if there's a desire to look at other options, happiness, unhappiness, money, uh, security, uh, status, just trying to think of the, all the reasons we've seen other drivers <clears throat> look to leave uh, a team they're at, or just see if they can find something better, um, better equipment, uh, fit better tires, better engine supplier, better engineer, better mechanic, like you run down the list and go, there are a lot of reasons over the years why IndyCar drivers have chosen to leave one company, uh, one team for the other ownership stake. I mean, we can go on and on and on. Couldn't tell you. I don't know if he's going to be speaking to any of this or if he's been shut down, uh, going forward for the rest of the week, uh, rest of the year. I don't know. So we'll find out, but he's a smart kid. I can tell you that. <laughs> I know that he is kind of playful and fun and, and whatnot, but, uh, and maybe that's perceived to be a little bit of the bro mentality or whatever, but the kid's really smart. So I, I've not seen him act in a way that was lacking intent or seeing full pictures. So I don't know what this means. Uh, would say the, the Red Bull stuff that you mentioned just, yeah, uh, that did not seem like that was totally his thing. Um, he's now entering his third year with the same team. He was Indy lights champion in 2018, the team that signed him and promised to run him and pay him in 2019 welched on that fell through, not his fault. Again, truly wasn't his fault. Uh, they kept Colton Herta because one of the people involved in the funding and the searching of money, uh, is George Steinbrenner's stepfather. And so Steinbrenner Harding, right? There's deep ties to Colton, not deep ties to Pato. That's why when they only had one budget and they barely even had the one budget they found to keep Colton on track, there were some deep team ties to Colton. That's why he wasn't the chosen one. So again, not it. I mean, I can just say legitimately wasn't his fault. That's just how it shook out. He got kind of screwed, but that's what it was. 2019 super unflattering in many ways, bouncing around from team to team, uh, landed at Aero McLaren SP and has been there ever since. So to me, we're talking about one season that went sideways for reasons that weren't his fault. I don't think the optics look bad. If after three seasons with one team, I know we're just starting his third season, but if by the end of that third season, he's wanting to go somewhere else and is able to, I don't know if I paint him in a bad light. Now, granted, if he goes to another team and is only there for a year or two and wants to go for someone else, that I would say, uh, yeah, that's flaky. I don't know if I'd touch you. Um, let's see. Warren Croyle. You're going to close this subject here 
on good old Patricio Award said, here's a theory. If Daniel Ricardo is a poor year at McLaren, then McLaren does a driver swap with Pato to F1 and Ricardo to IndyCar to twilight his career. Thoughts? Hmm. <laughs> I We don't know how good the McLaren is. We're going to find out in a couple days. I would think Daniel's probably going to be pretty darn good in it. Um, yeah. I, unless the car is trash, which I don't, I don't think it's going to be, I think he's going to do fine. Have a good year. Hopefully they'll win some races and be competitive, but I mean, there's nothing wrong with, uh, with Ricardo, right? Like he's good. He won a race last year. He's a winning race car driver. Um, I don't see why McLaren would want to move him to IndyCar, uh, whatsoever and nothing against Pato. He's done one young driver test and done well, but he needs a zillion miles uh, of development before they would want to put him in an F1 car. So there's great potential, but I would say untapped potential or undeveloped potential. We don't know what we got. Ricardo, we know what we got. Give him a good car. He's going to go in races for you. So, um... I'd love to see it happen for award, but if I'm a decision maker at McLaren, not in any way am I thinking of trying to engineer this, nor do I think, well, I don't know if Daniel would like it or not, but, uh, I would think if he, Daniel's a free agent at the, if he's a free agent at the end of the year, uh, or McLaren, if, even if he isn't, if McLaren says, Hey, if you want to go, you can go. I don't know if he'd be paid the same, same big retainer we've heard about, but I think there would be an F1 team or more that would be interested in his services. So at this pre-first F1 race of the year stage, Warren, I'm thinking Mr. Ricardo's still got a pretty good runway, and I can't think of a reason why McLaren would make that swap with Pato unless they were going to take him off the grid right now and have him running like mad alongside Colton Herta, trying to learn as many tracks as he can, understand the cars, the technology, the everything, and get him tuned up for next year. Take another quick sip. Uh, James Lau, how you doing, James? Says, with Romain Groschon, I believe it's his name, pronounced correctly, now in the Andretti camp, if Herta gets a seat in the future, Andretti Global Entry, do you think Romain Groschamp would be a good pick to fill the other seat to help Colton with getting used to the F1 vibe? Hmm. I don't know if Romain would be interested. Of course, that would be a good veteran to consider, but would Andretti want to deplete his IndyCar team of top talent entirely uh, i mean i would say if we're talking about taking colton off the indycar grid and roma that's a great way to destabilize your primary team your indycar team and put it at great risk so of course there are some good drivers out there you could probably get but i just would say there's no way i would risk cutting my IndyCar team in half and having to find uh, two new drivers. Who knows if Alex Rossi will still be there at the end of the year. Um, yeah. Uh, could, yes. Would, should, no. Not a chance. Uh, where else do we go from here? 
y'all. All right, I'm going to try and pick up the pace just a little bit. Got a call from someone that just came in that I need to take because they are in Eastern time, which means it's after 10 o'clock there. Uh, Caleb Whistler. It's great to see the support of High V for the Iowa IndyCar doubleheader. I noticed that DoorDash and Google are presenting sponsors of the races. I can see the DoorDash sponsorship being a B2B thing with High V, perplexed by the Google sponsorship. What value, either from a B2B, B2C, or et cetera, would they be getting from the deal? It's great to see IndyCar, its teams, and drivers embracing social media, especially when it comes to interacting with the fan base. As a PR or digital person, it makes my heart happy. Uh, what's exactly changed among the industry to embrace the impact of social media? It's well wishes to you, your wife, and the infamous cats, neither of which are with me. I think they're with my wife in the bedroom, by the way. I have no clue about Google, but I'm glad that uh, they are brought in. So I'm sure I will learn more about that from uh, the PR team behind the event. No clue, but I mean, I'm happy, right? Big company. Uh, just I can almost see them from where we live and we certainly drive past them a couple times a month going to our various appointments don't know there uh on the pr side this is the biggest combined effort i've seen for an event uh from multiple partners in a good long while so you've got indycar uh, penske entertainment you've got the high v side and you've got the iowa speedway side plus they've brought in as you mentioned google so all I can tell you is the effort being extended here really and truly is phenomenal. Uh, Randy Holbrook, any chance for ever getting some kind of support race back for Carb Day at Indy? Freedom 100 was the perfect event to get the fans pumped up and ready for the 500. I'd be happy with anything. Formula Forwards, go-karts, RC cars. How about 50 or so MX-5 Cup cars going at it? You have just solved the problem, Randy. Let's get the MX-5 Cup cars as the featured warm-up show on carb day there'd be one giant issue though and that is every indycar driver would want to compete in the event we know willpower yet again this is a willpower episode um he would want to be in that race but i think most of the other drivers would too and so all their team owners would be fighting to keep them from climbing in the cars uh in you know like totally white suits white helmets no names just nondescript to try and sneak in because it yeah uh first it would risk being the best race of the weekend of the week um and that's probably not something that indycar wants to risk uh let's see windy car amp just wanted to note in three straight weekends indycar will race on an oval at the 500 then on to detroit for a street circuit then road america a natural road course flying through the wisconsin Northwoods on a four mile road course this all occurs in a 15-day window how awesome is indycar 15 days how brutal are those types of uh, rapid track changes on the teams and crew and engineers and drivers? Um, I tell you, but I think it makes for the most interesting racing series in the world and happy to be a fan. Totally agree. It's busy. It's crazy busy. Keep in the back of your mind that the Indy 500 will pulverize a couple of those full-time cars, granted, the vast majority of the cars used in the 500 are special uh, reserved just for the super speedway. So they would not be vehicles that would then get brought to Detroit the following week. But nonetheless, if there's a big crash, if there's 
um, something big that is negative, the team will still need to react to that in some way and dedicate uh, skilled personnel, whether it's stripping the car, taking the motor out for it to be reused if it hasn't been beaten up in the crash. Um, there's still going to be work to be done after the 500, then move to Detroit. Detroit is certainly a place where we often end up with some very battered cars. So there's going to be more repairs done there. Not a double header this year, or is there? I forget. No, it's not. Uh, not a double header. So amen to that. But nonetheless, there's still going to be some beaten up cars, beaten up crew coming off of not just an Indy 500, but the Indy road course race, the lead up to that, and then pretty much nonstop through the checkered flag for the Indy 500. So this is not just 15 days. Don't just count the 15 in terms of the three events uh, being run, but also for Indy, basically tack two weeks onto that. So by the time we get to Detroit, we have some dog-tired people, too many of them needing to repair beaten-up race cars to then go to Wisconsin and uh, play four miles of amazing Road America-ness. So, yeah, with the uh, the break from Road America to the next race at Mid-Ohio, that's where, that's where finally teams get to take a little bit of a breather Keep in mind what April 28th is the Indy Open Test. And then we go straight into Barber on May 1st. And I, I, I'm wrong. I think it's the 24th of April. Whatever it is, they prepare not too long after Long Beach to go do the one big single-day test leading into the Indy 500 at the Speedway. Then go to Barber. There is a weekend off between Barber and the Indy Road Course race, but... You know, you could wind the clock back a fair amount here and say, you know, from that mid to late April phase, uh, things really do not slow down um, for about six weeks. So it is tough. Uh, let's see. Where else are we going to go here? Let me take a look at where, we at where we're at on the clock. We're a little bit past an hour and ten. I'll grab a couple more here and might do a little bit of a shorter episode this time. Um, and coming out of Texas, who knows? Uh, we'll see how long that is. Uh, Ricky Zagata question, but I'm not sure uh, if I should send it here for the sports car show. Uh, went to your first NHRA event this past weekend. Surprised to see that Toyota TRD has been removed from all Toyota vehicles and Toyota Gazoo North America had appeared on the cars. Is this something? Is this something? Is this like a small move or the start of something bigger? Maybe TRD being a truck division and Gazoo being a road division. Also, I was searching for a John Andretti Taco Bell shirt. No such luck at that. Uh, well, Ricky, if you read one, my most recent article, I think it was also in Racer Magazine as a print feature as well. Um, yeah, have mentioned that of the rumored Toyota being the third engine manufacturer coming, hopefully in 2024. If they've signed, we hope they do end up signing. It would indeed uh, be under a Toyota sub-brand, and the Toyota Gazoo Racing, the GR side, is what I have written about and have heard as being the choice. So, yes, there is a big rebranding effort here with this Toyota Gazoo Racing. 
as a sub-brand, performance brand, performance tuning aspect. And that's what I understand would be seen if and when Toyota 2.4 liter twin turbo V6 engines appear in the back of IndyCars. Chris Ward, you've got an alternate Indy 500 qualifying plan. I love it. You ask if it's crazy, and I say yes, but my brain's only really capable of processing a little bit right now, so uh, I'm going to stop there. Uh, Let me see. I'm going to work up backwards from the red line of death a little bit and see. You know what? I've only got like... uh, I take that back, Chris. I can read it because I've only got a couple more to do above the red line of death and the least I could do, because you remember the prude day, is read it and try and get my brain to fire into... uh, Fire to working in here, see? I've had too much, too many malteds, too much booze, too much moonshine, see? My brain's stopped working, see? Uh, alternate Indy 500 qualifying idea. He says, Saturday, open qualifying. Fast nine locked in at the end of the day. Second lane only for the fast nine entry. After all entries, make one attempt. Okay, you've already lost me. Um, but I think the actual IndyCar process is current one is way more complicated. Uh, Sunday, 40-lap sprint race to set (laughs) positions 10 through 33. And then we do a reverse grid based on Saturday's speeds. Uh, Mandatory green flag pit stop. Should any qualified driver retire the car voluntarily, a drive-through will be automatically served by lap five. Fast nine qualifications, BAU. I don't know what the BAU means. I should. Uh, You ask, is this batshit crazy? You say, yes. Would it put an onus on qualifying Saturday? Yes. Would it make teams have to race? Yes. I hope so. I don't know why I'm yelling. What are your thoughts on this? Of course, prayers for you, Shabrell, and the fur babies. Thank you. Man, the cats, you know, those cats get more love than they deserve. Yeah, you know, they really wear me out. I love that you care enough, Chris, to think about this and put it in writing. Um, yeah, it's crazy. Uh, I can barely follow along with what we do now. I think I could actually follow along with yours, but it just, yeah, by a small more margin. I was about to say margin. Maybe that's a margin that is bigger than it should be. It's more a margin. I'm not even drinking alcohol doing this show tonight, y'all, but all right. Uh, I love it, Chris. It's crazy. Um, you haven't even mentioned the drivers jumping out and doing TikTok dances uh, during pit stops. So you kind of left a, a little bit of meat on the bone here. Uh, Andrew Miller says there's entirely too much racing this weekend. IndyCar, NASCAR, Formula One, etc. says, seriously, I'm not a crackpot, but I presume there's a story behind the cartoon above for the show. But either I've forgotten it or missed the podcast it was talked about. Is the autoclave turkey something that happened? This is referring to the new show tune that I uh, used while asking for your questions. Uh, It features one of the things that I love to do, and I ask our artist friend Roger Ward to do, and that is livery mashups. Take something from an old livery that I love and apply it to a modern vehicle. I haven't had him do this in a little while. It's been a couple years, but... Uh, knowing how beautiful I thought Jimmy Johnson's blue, multiple shades of blue Carvana car happened to be, uh, thought that maybe 
1974 Bobby Unser um, All-American Racers Eagle Offie in that Jorgensen Steel Blue uh, would just be a lot of fun to apply to that livery. I think I thought of it. It might have been Roger. I don't. We'll just go with Roger. He, he's the guy with the better ideas. So, not too dissimilar shades, but definitely applying a 1974 retro livery to Jimmy's current car. And it wasn't honestly so much centered around just Jimmy. It's just I like the color of his car, and it made me think, one of us think at least, of the old uh, Jorgensen Eagle Blue. And so we did that. Um, the Autoclave is just kind of a tech thing and kind of a gurney thing and, you know, uh, thinking of high tech. Uncle Bobby, uh, Bobby Unser, the driver, uh, the story Robin Miller has been telling for decades about Uncle Bobby trolling, trying to find women at the grocery store in Indy to cook his turkey and then try and uh, um, make adult friends with uh, those poor women uh robin told that story truly for decades upon decades in recent years he told that story to my friend sean heckman and ryan eversley on dinner with racers they then turned that into a cartoon which is great that's where i think most people have learned the uncle bobby turkey story but again this is you know miller's been telling it forever and so it's just been a bit of a known thing for a long time. And so Roger, since he has a great memory and has heard the story, been told by Robin, I'm sure in person on the podcast and then uh, on Dinner with Racers too, uh, absolutely linked uh, all these things together. Uncle Bobby's car, Jimmy in it, but me with a high-tech All-American Racers autoclave trying to hand Jimmy an Uncle Bobby turkey. So that's the backstory it's a lot of confusing things together. I did text uh, Jimmy this morning and sent him the image and said, hey, uh, by the way, we love doing some wacky fun stuff. Uh, if you want any stickers, let me know. I'll have some coming soon. He was like, sweet, save me some. So we'll get Jimmy some. And maybe our pals at torontomotorsports.com can whip up a T-shirt or two uh, for him of that. And again, total unwilling participant, but he loved it. So even better. Uh, so that's a story there. Uh, and then we'll just close with John Ranjow, a.k.a. John Wojnar, uh, one of the leaders of the Prude Group. I hope you're doing well. I hope your uh, bride, future bride, is doing well, John. Um, he just says, Roger Wark. You don't miss. That is true. Roger just aces uh, everything that I ask him to uh, to draw for us. So, And I think we've got a couple more coming for sure. Uh, I gave him a crazy long list uh end of december i think and it was both the uh weekend indy car and weekend sports car shows so i think next up will probably be uh some sort of weekend sports cars tune um but there you go uh y'all i appreciate you i look forward to the next time that we speak uh racing family we're gonna do maybe one or two more of those this week i don't know uh, i take that back i do know we are going to uh, but prior to the Texas race, I'm not sure what we're going to do, but we'll do something. Uh, we'll do something Saturday night for sure. Chris Wheeler and I recapping the day with hopefully some drivers do the same Sunday, I hope. Um, and then Monday for sure, our standing five o'clock Pacific eight Eastern. Maybe we'll do like we did after St. Pete and get the whole podium. Who knows? Uh, we'll try that there. Let's say a big thanks as always to Cooper tires and the justice brothers and Toronto and to y'all 
for sending in the questions each week, powering this show, and just creating a lot of fun that I certainly enjoy here. Uh, what, May 6th anniversary, I think, of the podcast? So, yeah, some celebrations coming up. I don't know what we're going to do, but we'll do something. And uh, thank you all for being a gift to myself, my wife, and those cats. <laughs>